My name is Matt Brown. The Gabagool. And let's start the show. Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Everybody, the world is a better place because you are here to join us. My name is Matt Brown, and I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast. What's going on, everybody, on this Thursday, August 5th, 2021 day? Hope everybody's as fantastic and dandy as I am. And before we get into the fun of the tweet cap simulcast, I just want to remind you to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and YouTube. And don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show on ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com. And don't forget to check us out in the world of social media. We're on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast. We're on Twitter at ProdConvoPod. We're on TikTok at Productive Conversations. It is a beautiful Thursday in early August, and we are glad you are here to join us. Tommy is settled at Wagner College. The Yankees are finding some footing. The New York Giants are starting their season soon. And we are just enjoying what we have left of this summer. The dog days of summer have begun. Hope everybody's prepared and everybody is ready to make some big moves this summer. I certainly know I am, and we are going to be entertained. I mean, this is our 95th show, 95 shows, our 95th show, and we are getting better than ever. And for our 95th show, it is going to be another edition of the Tweet Cap Simulcast. So you know what it is. Ryan Page is back on the show, and we are going to go over the big training topics that took took place over the past couple of weeks in the world of Twitter and we're going to break it down and have some laughs, learn some things and most importantly experience some fun along the way. Whether it's the Woodstock doc, the legacy of Simone Biles, the great Brendan Fraser and his comeback. Is that taking place? Are people watching the Olympics? And is Caller Daddy starting another trend of P- of Spotify taking over? over and uh i mean so much to discuss so much to get into and well whether you're entertained informed or inspired we're going to participate right now in the show so here it is another edition of the tweet cat simulcast with my show and the tweet cap ryan page is here to break down these big stories why don't we get into it right now ryan page it is your turn once again let's get to it it was a fun week it was an interesting week it was a week of trending stories that we really, really had our interest sparked for. So, obviously, we need to break it down. Obviously, we need to entertain and inform you, the audience members. And who is that to do it with? Well, it's time to do our simulcast with the tweet cap. Without further ado, Ryan Page, welcome back once again for the Productive Conversations podcast slash tweet cap recap. 
and simulcast. So a lot of wordy words on this one. But how are we doing, Ryan? Doing good. It's been it's been a while. We also we should just call it something. We should call it like the tweet cap recap or the simul. We should give it a name. Yeah, so many names for it. We'll have to work on that. But for now, let's keep all the names. See which one feels the best for sure. So we'll start with the original name for now. Maybe change for the next one. But tweet cap simulcast with the productive conversations podcast. So yes, we'll, we'll condense that easily. But yeah, we it was definitely an interesting week. Um, so to say, Ryan, what have you what are you um what's going on but otherwise besides this crazy week you were in? You were away over the week of last yeah, week. I, I was away, so that's always nice to uh you know not be not be doing not be home, uh to mm-hmm. be somewhere else. Um, but I know that I've we got a lot of wedding planning done while I was away, actually. So get that. uh, that's kind of cool. We're we're gonna be looking at venues, which is a process as it mm. turns out um based based upon uh, availability so many people had their wedding canceled um with the first wave of covid that it's super competitive and now i mean now there's people telling us that we might have to wear masks inside and we're Ooh. still a year away like it's just it's crazy that this is still going on yeah. uh, i had no idea in my brain that this would even be something that i had to consider um but sure enough it is we started and I, I i suggested it first uh, looking for some place that does outdoor as well as indoor um so uh, again, hopefully, hopefully everyone is getting vaccinated so that way nobody has to wear a mask. Um, but right. I mean, numbers are not looking good depending on where you live. Sorry for all you folks. You know, <laughs> you know who you are who live in the spots that are getting hit hardest. Obviously, stay safe. Yes, yeah, stay safe. Get vax. I mean, with all these incentive people offering, I mean, you can get a hundred dollars yeah, in New York out. City for that, right? But uh, yeah, we'll uh, hopefully patiently wait, and who knows where things can roll if uh, we follow these rules. And I had to um, pretend to have a health condition to get my vaccination. Now, if I just waited, I could have gotten free beer. I could have gotten hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, people, man. I have my prior, my all my priorities are apparently very wrong. I could have been milking this for all it was worth. And instead, I was like, you know, how do I convince them I'm 62? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, <laughs> for all you unvaccinated, you have quite the incentives. And then in the end, you don't have to wear a mask indoors. Isn't that the ultimate win of all? So let's see where that all lies and takes place. But follow the rules, everybody. So. Yes. Already one trading story done, so we could go to the next one with that. So, Ryan, mm-hmm. let's talk first. The first story you want to talk about is has to involve both maybe a resurgence of a infamous rock band, a oh, uh, lessons learned for music festivals, and a documentary that I almost would consider a horror documentary with the <laughs> legitimate troubling footage. But Ryan, elaborate more with uh, your first story today. Well, yeah. So everyone, for continuity's sake, if you listened to our last tweet cap, Matt told me to watch uh, the Woodstock 99. Uh, What's it? Peace, Love and Rage, right? Yes. That's uh, the documentary. Peace, Love and Rage. Part of um, the Music Box series for HBO. Yep. And so, of course, I waited until yesterday to do it. Uh because it's not like I was on vacation or anything. <laughs> um, but I did watch it yesterday. And 
I went into it and again, you can listen to the previous conversation on it. I went into it, not sure what to expect. I had heard that they made some connections that I wasn't so sure, sure would make sense. And mm-hmm. after watching it, I'm, I think everything was presented. Well, I, again, I thought it was really good. Oh uh, yeah. Watching it with, uh, with Melissa, I started watching it and I was like, Hey, watch this. I, I paused. I was like, you should watch this. This is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had no information about Woodstock 99 other than like, you know, like vaguely understanding certain things. I mean, we were what, four years old, five yeah. years old. So it's not like it was something that we would have really known. I have word advertising it, it on Nick. Right. Yeah. Well, no, thank God. Uh, that would have mm-hmm. been quite the education for, yeah. uh, for a young Matt Brown. Oh, my <laughs> had that crowd been on Nick jr. Um, <laughs> And you know what? They're Viacom, so there's a world where it was for sure gonna get advertised on Nick oh. Jr. If it happened in 2021, uh, that's exactly what, how it would have gone down. It would have been, you know, cross promoted, <laughs> and you know, JoJo Siwa and like the cast of, I don't know, what's a Nickelodeon show? Now I have yeah. no idea. I mean, iCarly Paramount Plus reboot is the sure. closest. Yeah. Jojo Siwa and Miranda Cosgrove would be hosting this thing and just freaking out. <laughs> uh, kind of like how Carson Daly was hosting it and just freaking out. But um, yeah. so it was crazy to you know get that extra le- level of information. Like I knew the overarching story. I knew about the, you know, Limp Biscuit and uh, then the Chili Peppers with their uh, ill-timed song. Yeah. Um, and then you know, so on and so forth. So Playing I kind of fire knew all, before, yeah. as a fire. The limp the Jimmy version Hen- of that song though. Yeah, the Their Jimi version. Hendrix the Jimi Hendrix fire, Jimi Hendrix yeah. experience fire, and then they covered it only while a major fire was uh, being created. So I, I think I've heard their version in its entirety. So I think at some point they did record it or they had a live show that wasn't burning down that they did Mm -hmm. uh, that song at, but it's a pretty good version of the song. Yeah. Uh, Just again, ill-timed in a way that's actually even where, you know, you're talking about uh, Limp Bizkit came back. That's kind of how, what got us on this path to make sure we watched it so we could talk Mm -hmm. about it. Um, And which is fine. Uh, They have every right to perform music. I, I don't know any Limp Bizkit fans in real life, but um, <laughs> I, there have to be some. We watched them tear down a military base, so right. But, <laughs> but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Can you just tell us the overarching theme for people who haven't seen the documentary? Like, what is the Woodstock '99 documentary about as a whole? Well, it's about the Woodstock '99 music festival <laughs> um, and how. Well, the documentary certainly called it horrific. Uh, I would say that one half of the promoters disagrees with that categorization wholeheartedly. He's an idiot. The other promoter is far more calculated Yeah, what he says. Um, he doesn't defend it quite as much. He just tries whenever possible to mention good things. Uh, <laughs> he had the benefit, Mike Lang, Michael Lang, had right. the benefit of also being, I believe he's promoted in some capacity, every single Woodstock. Right. So he has the benefit of being able to say, oh, I did it three times. Mm-hmm. Only one of them went, wrong uh, <laughs> the other guy i don't believe has that same 
has that same track record. I yeah, think his name was John it once Shear. and it was wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why he, John Shear, both at Woodstock 99, you can see all of the press footage, you know, from the press tent where it, it was straight out of a, um, it was straight out of a White House press briefing from a previous <laughs> president who shall not be named. Uh, it was all the same tactics, which I thought was just baffling and it's baffling, but not really. And that gets into one of the, more I don't want to say bizarre actually but one of the claims that was far more controversial um, for people who were talking about the documentary before it came out um, the rage portion um, and this festering rage that the documentary says is still you know around and I mean it's really hard to look at the last year last two years and Mm -hmm. say that that's inaccurate of course there's rage we see yeah, it right? every day um, and we've seen it every day since 1999 um, and they give different reasons for that. They also do talk about some of the uh, performers and the performances and the way that like that was kind of, uh, I mean, the DMX one in particular, uh, they gave him a lot of credit for doing what he did. Uh, they also focused on, all three of the female headliners of which yeah. there were only three uh, exactly and they um, spread them out on the three days to yes it wasn't to on see purpose. if anyone noticed <laughs> it wasn't on purpose they said um, and i think everything could have been avoided if you know they had just taken that saturday night lineup of uh kid rock limp biscuit and uh, metallica yeah if they had just thrown jewel in there somewhere <laughs> right before metallica yeah you know what i mean <laughs> just really bring it down Do yeah like a, you know, <laughs> kid rock jewel uh you know limp biscuit and then end it with alanis morissette right <laughs> you know like there was a more way diversity that, right there was a way to do it that was a, far more calm uh than what they did but um that's that's neither here nor there. The point is they, they talk about those musicians and the impact they had on the broader culture and the impact that their performance had, which I thought was very cool uh, to talk about that. Like I said, DMX, by all accounts, absolutely killed his set. Um, and that is impressive for the time, 1999, to have a rapper be able to play a festival like that. Right. Uh, with that audience and absolutely kill it universally like acclaimed again that was probably the first time a lot of people saw that style of music as being mainstream and broad because that was a mainstream that was a broad audience that was the you know 18 to 30 whatever year olds that's that's who is there um and so to see that that wasn't a niche genre but rather a powerful genre could very well be why because it was they talked a lot about that the the new the new metal or the you know the yeah. new rock like that was supposed to be this merging of hip-hop and rock uh that was supposed to be the mainstream you know taking rock and making it modern and i don't think i don't think it didn't happen uh yeah because we don't listen to you know exactly but uh, <laughs> we do listen to hip-hop now Right, And I think that that's because hip-hop won. Hip-hop was cooler. Um, and I would say DMX probably had something to do with that by putting him on a show with Metallica, with the Chili Peppers, with Limp Bizkit, and he d- didn't feel out of place. Uh, so that was a really cool part. Obviously, they got into other stuff in regards to that particular set. Again, they focused very heavy on the rage. I just didn't want to get into that yet. <laughs> um, so... 
you know, that was, that's a different part of that. Um, and there was another one they said that was, that did exceptionally well. And I don't remember who the group, the group that was, had a critically acclaimed for it. Um, yeah, there was another group that did really well. And I don't remember who it was. He now. said rage against the machine had, what had a really good set. Was it the end with Megadeth that closed out? <laughs> I, th- I think people did like the Megadeth one. The Megadeth was fun and funny because, you know, everything was on fire and they're like peace cells. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but there was a lot of, it was, just, again, it was very interesting to see. Um, and I mean, the documentary goes as far as to say as the Woodstock 69 documentary that we've seen, because obviously we have no connection to a Woodstock 69. That's almost a, a fairy tale itself. Yeah. And you know, thinking about it, I had never really thought about it, but watching this one, that's probably true. There's just no way that in 1969, a bunch of, I shouldn't say there's no way. I'm sure it was less bad. Right. I'm sure it was less bad. Still safe circumstances. Would you put hundreds of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people essentially on supervised, all on drugs, rock music all day. Yeah. three days straight there had to have been problems exactly. but there were less i'm sure there were less problems i'm positive there were less problems but i mean when you think of 69 you don't think of any problems yes and but so, you know at that time late 60s more folk music more peace and love it was considered rock then, though oh yeah I of mean, course rock but you know when you compare it to the you know when you have lib biscuit having so literally called break stuff or well, i think that's and that's one of the central points that they're making. It's one of the points that I agreed with the most. Yeah. Is the, I mean, I think generation, both, yeah. ironically enough, I think they were both technically catering to the same culture. It's just that culture had changed from 69 to 99. Yeah. The, the you know, I, I would say this is going to sound horrible. So I'm going to get criticized for it, <laughs> but take it in the way I mean it, not in the words I say. Jimi Hendrix and Limp Bizkit are the same. Yeah. They're not actually, <laughs> but Jimi Hendrix is to, you know, 18 to 32 year olds in 1969, what Limp Bizkit is to 18 to 32 year olds in 1999. Right. They're the same in that regard. Obviously, they're two very different people, very different musical styles, very mm-hmm. different I'm going to say skill sets and abilities. Um, you know, Hendrix can, the Hendrix can play the guitar amazingly well. Fred Durst does that weird thing where he whines half the song and then growls the other half. <laughs> so very different skill sets. Uh, and that's okay. But also I think that the message, like, you know, nowadays we look at 69, we'd say it's all folk music because Folk music is kind of how we've just categorized that group. You know, if I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning, you know, all like those protest songs and all those like songs for social change. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was because there was social changes brewing. You know right. what I mean? It just, and in 1999, it was the strongest economy that they'd ever seen at that time. Not a single person who went to that Woodstock show who was over the age of 25 had to be unemployed for the most part. Yeah, right. Again, there's always exceptions. So if you're listening, sorry, but um, everything was uh, everything was good. So they don't have to hammer anything in the morning. They just have to break stuff. Um, I think that was. I think it's just that was part of it. So I do think there was just, and that, that that's there's so much wrapped up in that because yes, it's the generation thing, the different types of music. Music got more violent. 
It just did. Music got angry. You, you know, music was hopeful in 1969. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of reasons, that music. Um, and there's like artistic philosophical things you can say. And then there's, you know, just less philosophical things you could say about why it got angry. Um, yeah. But it did get angry. So that's part of it. And part of it is that, um, you know, the, the point of Woodstock the first time was, well, there was a point, frankly, uh, these artists got together for something and these people who came got together for something and it was theirs. And, you know, double fold for 1999. One, they tried to, to shove 1969 down everyone's throat. I mean, did you see, you've seen the stage, obviously you saw the documentary. Yeah. Very, a lot of mural based, uh, pretty colors, bad murals. Yeah. They were just trying to get peaceful and stuff, but look at like, but look at it. Metallica performed on that stage. Metallica (laughs) did. Yeah. Think of all of the other Metallica stages. Yeah, very Metallica. like DMX performed on that stage. Think of all of his other stages. Right. When you have the little Tweety Birds up and the uh, doesn't make any sense. flying around. Nobody wanted that. That was there. Nobody was there because there had been a Woodstock in 1969. Nobody who showed up to that Woodstock was there because there had been another Woodstock. They couldn't care less. The musicians. Yeah. Some of the musicians probably cared very deeply that they were performing Woodstock. I don't think any of those musicians are in Limp Biscuit, but I think some of the musicians cared quite a bit that they were at a Woodstock. However, that's it. The fans didn't care. It yeah. could be the first one. They could if '69 never happened and they just came up with this concert and yeah, just this. as the lineup is. Oh, well, I think Moby said it. He said we really should just call it, you know, concert at the Army Base, 1999. Yeah. Everyone would have made a difference. Showed up. It wouldn't have changed a single thing about the people who showed up. Because they didn't come because it was Woodstock. So trying to call back to 69 made no sense. That's and then, number one. And number two, again, look at who performed. And it's not their fault. There's plenty <laughs> of concerts that are not, like, violent that happen. Right. I mean, Metallica, how many shows do you think Metallica's done in their career? Like, hun- literally hundreds of thousands. Right. Probably. How many times do you think a mosh pit killed someone? Probably not that many. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying they all have. I mean, yeah, but you know, you don't, you know, when they perform like at Coachella or Lollapalooza, you don't have the the same thing. You know, Chili Peppers and Rage Against the Machine have both recently performed at Coachella. Yeah, exactly. Within the last five years, actually, Rage Against the Machine was supposed to be last year. So I don't know if they've done it before. They were supposed to be last year. But even still, I'm counting it. Exactly. They they've performed since Woodstock 99. They've performed at, at those concerts. Too, yeah, they've you. played at festivals, but they haven't had the uh, violent outbreaks like this one did. Yeah. So I'm not blaming the artists. I know some of the people in the documentary blame <laughs> the artists um, and most did of the it? people, most of the people who blame the artists are doing so because they're to blame. Right. Didn't the uh, guy John Shearer blame Limp Bizkit? Oh, Wasn't yeah, he Limp Bizkit almost that? entirely. Yeah. Uh, and again, the fires didn't start until like a day after the day after. Exactly. Um, but to get to the point I was saying, like, look at who is there. This was clearly a commercial concert. This was a show to sell tickets. They put up a peace wall. Uh, <laughs> again, straight out of a former president's playbook. I won't say which one. Um, <laughs> and charged people a lot of money to go. And the more money when they got there. And it was commercialized. That didn't yeah. happen in the first one. No, 
I'm sure they charged and I'm sure some people paid. And they said in the first one, they were just breaking into the fence. The first one, the 69 one. And again, like, and this is where the, the other, and he's very, he's conspicuous with his quiet, the Michael Lang character. Yes. Cause he was, again, he's at all three. He promoted all three. Obviously he said, okay, to the peace wall. <laughs> Obviously he was looking to get paid. Cause I mean, he knows, he knows that the, the people who listen to Janis Joplin and the people who listen to, I mean, think about think about the people they invited that didn't make sense. So we they focused on Jewel, Alanis Morissette, and uh, and um, Cheryl Crow, Cheryl Crow, right? But beyond that, Rusted Root was there. Do you know who that is? <laughs> Send me on my way. Which I like. I actually like that song. But probably Rusted if I heard there. this song, I heard I would. Uh, I mean, Moby it. was there. Movie, <laughs> which is a little different, but still, like, not every single one of those. It wasn't. This wasn't a heavy metal concert at all. No, no. But all you had Counting Crows and, and you had yeah. Counting Crows and Dave, Dave Matthews. Matthews who, and Dave Matthews makes more sense. Uh, yeah, for a Woodstock, you know, reunion. So he again, he clearly had input, and yet he did approve all of the money stuff because I think he saw. All right, this guy, this John guy. He's like, we're going to headline Metallica. Yeah. You, which means we're going to make a lot of money Saturday. And, and you know, and this is late cool 90s when uh, rock still had an influence on the mainstream, too. You know, well, it's probably the end of rock having an influence on the mainstream. Yeah, exactly. Frankly. And I don't know how much of that has to do with the fact that they burned down a military base. <laughs> uh, but it might. Because, like I said, I think hip hop ended up winning. You know, the new metal that was on that show was supposed to be the future. Yeah, um, that's what they were of, claiming. And they said that it was battling pop, you know, regular pop like the Insync, Britney Spears. It was them, and and it was you know Limp Biscuit and Corn, Corn, uh, right? <laughs> like, and Corn lost. Poor Corn. Oh, look at him. Um, <laughs> but uh, he lost, unfortunately. And listen, some of those bands I still like. Offspring, I like them. Yeah. Uh, I think Corn's fine. I think he gets a bad reputation. He meaning the lead singer. He's a little weird, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, so like, and the Chili Peppers again, classic group, uh, and they fall pretty heavily into that group. Rage Against the Machine, another one. Um, but there was clearly like a bit of a battle between pop and like new rock, this new metal, this new rock type, and then hip hop won against both. Of them. <laughs> Do you <laughs> feel like rock almost destroyed itself? Like. While pop, while hip hop did their thing and they just slid in. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how that. And I think, I mean, think about rock and roll fans now. Like a lot of the stuff we heard in the documentary where like they were mad at MTV. MTV had to evacuate the premises because people were mad at them for stealing their MTV. (laughs) Yeah, you saw they were throwing stuff at Carson Daly. Yeah, super entitled. Uh, Because God (laughs) forbid MTV play two types of music. Um, (laughs) um, And so, you know, that entitled kind of feeling still sticks around in rock circles where rock stars feel that they're superior to pop stars. No one wants to hear that. I like the Foo Fighters, I like the Offspring, I like the Chili Peppers. I don't want to hear about how all of the members of those bands are better than 
you know, X pop star or Y pop star or whatever, or how hip hop's not real music. Like, and it's those fans that are saying those, it's the rock fans that are saying that Mm -hmm. no hip hop fan fan goes. Yeah. The red hot chili peppers aren't legit. Like maybe some of them do again. They never want to speak in generalizations, but like they don't care. (laughs) They're like, Mm -hmm. cause they wouldn't even think to compare, you know, their music to someone else's music. It's completely different. Right. There's no comparison. So rock, for whatever reason, rock and roll for people felt like it was supposed to be the popular music. And it wasn't the only music. And that made them mad, which brings us perfectly into the segue for the last bit of this documentary talk. And that is, I did the math last night and the out, the outlandish claim <laughs> that the anger associated on the January 6th Capitol riots and the rage expressed in 1999, something that I outright said was silly to you. <laughs> personally, I said it privately to you. Right. I thought yes, you that did. there's that's silly. There's just no way that th- democracy was, was overthrown by fans of free Leash. Just no, <laughs> no way. Um, and generally speaking, it wasn't, by the way. But mm-hmm. age-wise, they actually match up perfectly. Yep. So I looked at a story on the Atlantic and again, for people who invaded the Capitol, the Atlantic is not a reliable source, but for the rest of us, it is. <laughs> um, and they took a look at 193 of the arrests, which again, in fairness, not a huge sample size, but mm-hmm. that's all we have 193 of the arrests. And they found some demographic information. Uh, obviously they were pretty much all white. Mm-hmm. which we knew just by looking, uh, yeah, right. you can pretty much see that. Um, they all supported Donald Trump for the most part, uh, explicitly or implicitly based on, you know, their beliefs. Um, the average age of somebody arrested is 40 with the, uh, with like a third or two thirds of the people, um, being over the age of 35. Uh, I believe that was what I texted you last night. Yep. Uh, I know it's something to that effect. It's very similar. If I'm saying it a little bit wrong now, that's the gist of it. Uh, Meanwhile, go back in time to 1999 Woodstock, Uh, much bigger sample size, 500,000. Again, just a quick crowd check. Take a look at the footage. Yes. Pretty much all white, Mm -hmm. Um, mostly male. That's another thing that I forgot about the Atlantic article. Most of the arrests were from men. There's you, you could say maybe it's because men get arrested more than women, but I think it's because more men attacked the Capitol than women. Yep. Um, that would be my guess. Uh, so more men attended this concert than women, which was turned out being very bad for the women. Um, and their, oh, their age ranges obviously were 18 to like 32, realistically. Give or take. There are some people who were probably young, you know, 15, 16, snuck out. There's probably some people who were almost 40. Who yeah. Were like, yeah, I want to go to Woodstock, man. It's close. Maybe they're from Rome, New York. They had nothing going on that weekend. 150 bucks burning a hole in their pocket. So yeah, let's do it. Anyone? Um, is that near Nazareth by any chance? No, no. It's in, uh, oh God, where is it? There is a Greece, New York in Rochester, New York. <laughs> but no. Original name, huh? Yeah. So, uh, no, not Rome. It's not, I mean, it's not terribly far. If you're asking, like, could was you there anyone there? who, yeah. yeah, was anyone from Nazareth at that time probably oh, feeling know. it? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I never asked if anybody, you know, 
assaulted women and burned down a military Ooh. base. That wasn't part of my uh, my tour at NAS. So I'm going to say most of them probably Fair didn't go. But um, long story short, the people who went to Woodstock were born in 1980, between 1981 and like 1968. Yeah, that's what it was used. 1968 to 1981. Let's put it in correct order. Uh, that's the same uh, birth date range as the people who invaded the Capitol based on their ages. Mm. The 40-year-olds and such who have all been arrested for the January 6th would all have birthdays that fell within that same range of being 18 to 32 during Woodstock 99. So, again, there was some other parts uh, of the documentary that spoke to just a general anger in white communities. And I was I was not sure how I was going to react to that. Mm-hmm. I think they made an interesting case. And the case wasn't just, you know, white folks be crazy. Um, (laughs) Because I don't think, not that that can't be true, by the way. It's just there's no research that can back that up. Um, But they did make a point, you know, about cultural feelings, 69 versus 99, which we talked about earlier. Like, what was there to protest? What was there to be mad about in 1999? (laughs) And yet everyone is so angry. Yeah, right. And it's always been that way. Young people have always been angry realistically they're always the angriest group they want change but what happens when there's no change necessary you know we have it lucky our country almost died there's plenty of change that needs to happen right now yeah but uh you know for for people who are in a pretty good spot to be angry all the time and to have no reason for it just can make you angrier um and and then you have nothing to channel it into so i think and i think they made a very good point of saying that like it was a young generation of an entitlement that's something that i think even most white people maybe not most but enough white people will agree with there's massive sense of entitlement within um that community like the frat boy community yeah um i don't think that's something that people as long as you're not in the frat boy community i think you can pretty much safely say that um so the entitlement was there as well but it is interesting that it's the same age because again it wasn't a bunch of you know, 18 to 32 year olds who did what they did in January 6th, but it was the same 18 to 32 year olds who did what they did in 1999. Right. So it, I don't know if it, Gen X, it's Gen X, by the way, for the most part. So I don't know what, ha- what, what happened with Gen X. Uh, we, we talk a lot about boomers and millennials and now the, 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 what do they call themselves? Gen Z, are they calling the Zoomies? I've heard that Zoomies getting picked up. Sounds like the uh, twisties, which we'll get into in a second. But um, yeah, we talk a lot about those groups. No one talks about Gen X, but uh, Gen X, low key, incredibly violent. As literally low key, I guess they had that kind of negative and anger passion, and they channeled it for that. And I mean, think about they talk. They talk a lot about grunge, right? Yeah, and I guess that was angry music, but the band wasn't angry. Yeah, more just I you know more progressive some of those bands despite that you know yeah. trying to get that angst but I don't know it's it, it's just funny to have to see whether that corporate influence they didn't like or they I think were it was too no, easy. Oh, oh no 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 sorry I, that's the one part I didn't like the idea that these kids who are clearly taking from I know these kids I do I know them today mm-hmm. these kids clearly had mommy or daddy's credit card. Oh, yeah. That, that specific festival ridiculous too. nonsense that they were upset about the capitalization of their wealth. It wasn't their wealth. It wasn't their wealth. Exactly. The they, people, anyone there who was under the age of 28 had 
been charging someone else's car. Absolutely. So I don't want to hear that. They were upset that they were being taken. I mean, they were upset probably because it was freaking hot and they didn't have a lot to drink. But the idea, $4 is insane for, for water. Yeah, it even is. today, that's but stupid expensive. They, but it's the same as like if I went to a place, had four hundred beer, beers, and then said, "Well, water was too expensive," but the beer <laughs> wasn't. So no, I don't believe for one second this was them. I, yeah, they they put it on the walls and stuff when they were in the middle of their anarchy, but I don't believe for one second there was actually any sort of consideration for that. Yeah, they just they wanted to break stuff to uh, eloquently quote the poet Fred Durst. The poet Fred Durst, and yeah, I guess this is one doc that shows the things that change. Things change, but they all stay the same. And, I think it says um, be careful of Gen X. The so you're right. Pop off, or that could be low key. This generation has something in them. Do you think they were playing with their? I, they must. Someone must have been playing break stuff when they were hitting that Capitol building. Oh they brought, no! They I, don't know. A, I don't know if they're all still fans of that music anymore. To be honest mm. with you, uh, but I, I don't. I shouldn't say that because I don't know anyone who is there. I know people who supported the former president, and they're not fans of that type of music. Mm-hmm. No Limp Bizkit fans. He's not. But, Fred just wouldn't be playing at the Trump. But rally. doesn't mean. But in fairness, doesn't mean that those people. I mean, not not everyone who supported Donald Trump attacked the Capitol. Yeah, was well, still a select group of people. Exactly. So maybe they were. I don't know. Well, I guess it's just it's, it's just quite the daunted documentary. I mean, they really had some uncomfortable footage they were showing and a lot it, of naked people. Yeah. And well, guys and girls doesn't matter. Exactly. Girls, and matter. yeah, I guess it's just one fascinating social experiment and bottom line, it is a great documentary Yeah, and they did have both sides. I mean, that's what you like in the documentary. Even if you don't agree, the John Shear saying, I didn't do anything wrong. You guys <laughs> mess it up for yourself. And then, you know, He's the MTV framed it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was no fire. MTV framed it wrong. <laughs> They were just using footage for something else from another concert. I felt so bad for those kids. The ones who showed up there, nonprofit to try and end gun violence. Yeah, right. It was legitimately a social ale that started in 1990s. Exactly. Like legitimately. That was that was the start of the school shooter era. Exactly. Colin so they were there. All that. You know, if you were going to have a Woodstock 99, that's one of the things you'd probably want to be against. Yeah, and you just and you they just it. decided to burn down the military base. Well, geez, candles. The only thing I wish I wish they had more. They had a couple of the acts. They had the Lee Singer Corn, um, Offspring, Offspring. I, I just that. wish they had some more to give their perspective. I mean, if they had Fred Durst, that would have been perfect. Nah, for he he doesn't. He probably doesn't talk about it. True. He, he did get blamed. Not yeah. just by not just by the promoter. He got blamed by a lot of people. It would just be nice to hear his perspective all these years later in his new look. Yeah, but what he we doesn't want to relitigate it, probably. Yeah. Same as Kid Rock. Probably. Kid Rock. <laughs> I'm sure they don't want to go over it again. Oh my god. That Monica Lewinsky line they showed him say, Oh, that was awful. And now he hates the Clintons. He thinks they're pedophiles, I think. So Oh. Well, yeah. somebody on Twitter probably screenshotted that. Hey, you said this. Yeah, well, you know, he's definitely, I mean, he's definitely conservative now, but I thought he was like wrapped up in like the Marjorie Taylor Greene kind of wing of the party, but I could be wrong. I don't know much about Kid Rock. I know like two songs. <laughs> One of them is a new song, like a newer song from like yeah. 
2012. <laughs> but bottom line, it's a good doc, fascinating stuff. And uh, yeah, love to hear you all, all of you people checking out your input on what you saw the doc. Now switch to other things. Yes. Non, you know, headache giving uh, festivals. <laughs> Ryan, why don't you talk to us about the most famous, your story about the most well-known Olympian at this point. Talk to us about you know who and yeah, uh, the story Miles. going into it. Yes. So this was not this week, but we were off last week. Mm-hmm. But while I was away, I got all this update about, uh, you know, probably the biggest face for American athletes at this games. Right. Uh, Simone Biles, gymnast, like seven time medalist. Uh, well, no, sorry. She was six time heading into it. She got seven. Yes. She just got the bronze. Yes. Her bronze. Um, but four time gold medalist. And also very unique because not a lot of gymnasts get to Olympics, especially at a high level. Right. So for her to go to two and medal at two. That's pretty impressive. Um, but she pulled herself out of competition up until again. Uh, when when was the when was the balance beam? Tuesday, balance right? beam was the yeah Tuesday. Yeah, so she pulled herself out for over a week um, of competition, and she everyone assumed she was injured, right? And she went out and she was like, almost like, yes and no. Um, mm-hmm. She was very honest. She's like, no physical injuries, no like rehab, no surgery or anything like that. But uh, it's a mental thing. Uh, and uh, she started talking about the twisties, which in fairness to the people who, uh, I don't want to give them fairness, but I can see how people on Twitter took that to be a made up thing because it sounds incredibly made up. So if you're in a, if you're a gymnast, I believe you. I believe the struggle is real. Come up with a better name. <laughs> like call it like the vortex i don't know something you know the scarier vortex. i don't know because twisties i mean twisties sounds like so, so twisties sounds like what i would do while i was doing gymnastics like yeah i'm just gonna jump on the trampoline do a little twisty and uh go from there so but long story short very serious despite an adorable name uh and yeah, she pulled herself out of competition up until this week, and it set off a massive Twitter firestorm. People supported her, but obviously, because this is America, people didn't. Um, yep. Mostly people who had never done Olympic gymnastics or really any athletic competition. That seemed to be the majority of people who didn't like that she pulled out. Um, and then a lot of her, you know, fan, her fans and other athletes and stuff supported her decision. And I personally get it. I mean, even though I don't understand and will never understand what it is to compete at that level, uh, for anything, I also understand that if you're not a hundred percent, you shouldn't be competing Olympics. I mean, that simple, realistically, if whatever the twisties were, um, and I'm still not hundred percent sure. I think it's just, you lose almost like you lose your balance in the air, which makes landing and rotating particularly difficult. That's <laughs> how I understand it. But, um, even, yeah, whatever it is, if there's someone on the bench who can do better because you're not physically capable mentally or otherwise of competing at the Olympics, then you should absolutely pull yourself out. I thought I was right. actually surprised at the controversy, to be honest with you. Um, like, Again, why, if this person is telling you, openly telling you that, that she's not going to win, like, I get it. Number one athlete, 
And for people who don't necessarily know athletics, I guess maybe they're like, well, you're the number one. So this shouldn't happen to you. You're got to, you've got to win the goal. Like whatever. I don't know. But if an athlete tells you, yeah, I can't play most of the time, that means the athlete can't play. Yeah. Most athletes are not like, I don't feel like playing. Especially in this, uh, unless they're a professional basketball player, boom. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> and that's not true either. I mean, I'm sure I, we said this on this podcast, like Kyrie Irving in particular. I'm sure there was mental health implications to his right. extended absence. Um, but like, yeah, if an athlete's telling you I can't play, it's usually not because they don't want to play. It's because they they don't believe that they can, or even if they think they can, they don't believe they're going to win. They don't believe that they have the best shot at winning. And I think that's because some people are like, oh, she got a point deducted. So she didn't want to do it anymore. Well, first of all, yeah, Mm -hmm. if she's going to get points deducted and a different person's not, then, you know, I know this is a hard athletic concept, but math would dictate the person scoring more points should be the person doing it. So, I mean, the fact that this was a controversy actually surprised me because I, I thought it was pretty simple math. She's like, I'm going to do, I'm going to do poorly and I'm going to get a bad score. Someone else will do it and get a better score than me. So that person's got a better chance at winning the gold for the team. I mean, to me, it's, it's a no brainer. If an athlete says I'm going to score seven, we need eight to win. So if you put me in, we don't win, but you could try someone else. They might score eight. Yep. And uh, I mean, it's just, it'd just be silly not to, if you're the coach, it'd be silly to be like, yeah, but seven is so good. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, no, no. you want to win those medals. Yeah. And it just like, shows some of the people who are upset their true colors. Like, the, why are you so <laughs> serious in this? Like, give the girl a break. She She's earned her place amongst the greatest. She's literally the greatest gymnast of all time. Well, like, yeah, let's be real. Who's, and that's who's another wraps. gymnast you're going to say? No offense to the gymnast community. But, you know, she's the household name for it. So why are we right. getting more and, mad? And at that's this? what's wrapped up okay. in this. That's what's wrapped up in this. That I had, That's the subtext that I wasn't saying is that a bunch of people don't like that a young black woman is the face of American athletics right now. Yeah. Um, and so Damn as soon shame. as... That as soon as that person, that. yeah, and as soon as that person had an issue, which happens to all of us, they took that as their moment to try and discredit somebody who they don't want to be the face of the Olympics team. That, that's the only thing I can think of. I could be totally wrong, and if you're someone, I who think has a you're opinion, right on this. But I have a feeling I'm right. Yeah, right for sure, and I agree with you too. It's 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 just a day of shame, and we know that another. As we're talking about more low key things about low uh, people's low key attributes you probably know what type of person they are who takes the time to bash this epic person and yeah i support her honestly and in a time of i believe mental health should be taken more seriously this was the right thing to do if you you don't want us i think so many of these things in our life could have been prevented if we allowed the person to take account of their mental health and well she didn't. She wound up going back. She won a bronze better than nothing. And, um, you know, this is just what's going to happen for now on. I know we're about to get into the we're about to get into the ratings for yep. the Olympics. But look at Naomi Osaka. Yes. Team Japan, but very famous here in America. Best tennis player in our country, right. I believe. Um, she also had a mental health thing. She's clearly still not past it. She was out early, third round, something like that, second round. 
to yes. some someone from the Czech Republic who again probably worked her whole life to be at the Olympics, not taking mm-hmm. that away from them, but you know, someone that they certainly didn't think she was gonna lose to. Like it, it's it's real. I don't I don't understand this thought process that these athletes have to just be this isn't Madden. You know what I mean? <laughs> or or 2K. It's not a computer generated version where here's the attributes, you know what I mean? Like yeah. this person has a 90 overall um passer rating. So this person is going to complete 90% of their passes. That's how Madden works. I mean, to go back to Dak Prescott, who was a big part of the early, you know, movement for mental health and professional athletes. And he also caught a lot of flack. Like, you know, Dak Prescott in Madden is going to be the same no matter what. Mm-hmm. He has attributes in Madden. He's ranked, what is it, 85 or 87, whatever it is. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. And so his passes are going to do this. X percentage of the time, you know, he's going to get intercepted. Y percentage of the time. That's not real life. And like people, I feel like people are equating it. Like, you know what I mean? Like a high ranking in Madden means that that's how the real life is. They're, they're real people. If someone is saying, yeah, no, this is going to be a bad game. That mm-hmm. space is not right. You know what I mean? I don't I do. know why we don't, why would we not believe them? Why would we assume that that somehow they have to suck it up, put someone else in that simple. If I was a coach, it's a no brainer. If your quarterback says, I'm going to miss, I'm going to throw all over the place. Maybe don't put them in. If your tennis player says I need to be left alone. Cause I can't concentrate on the game. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. She can't concentrate on the game. If she doesn't concentrate, she's going to lose. No, seriously. And exactly. Again, and then someone miles. If she said someone else can do better. Like if she's telling you someone else will do better, why would you be like, well, you're supposed to be a four-time gold medalist. No, she still is, first of all, so F off. Uh, and <laughs> second, just let someone else win one. Exactly. If someone else has a better shot at winning it, as the coach, your job as a coach is not to give Simone Biles 400 gold medals. Your coach is to win as many gold medals as humanly possible. It doesn't really matter who does it. So if someone tells you to your face, I'm not going to do it, I can't do it. Not today. They'd be like, all right, put someone else in. Maybe they won't do it either. But you know, the first person is not because they told you they're not. No one's ever going to be like, yeah, I'm not going to win this gold medal. And then just goes ahead and wins a gold medal. No one. Everyone who wins a gold medal is at least somewhat convinced that they're going to win. You know what I mean? You have I do to, know what you mean. You can, there's no one who's genuinely surprised. Like, I came out here to have fun. I didn't know I was going to be the best in the world. No one's ever. That's never the phrase. That's never how it goes. So unless you're Michael Jordan, just leave them alone. They know their body better than you do. And frankly, we shouldn't care who goes to the podium. We should just want them to go to the podium. And by the way, we had plenty of gold medalists and gymnasts this year. None of them Simone Biles. Exactly. Because the people who, the people who we needed to compete competed. And Simone Biles saw that herself. It's not, it's not this on her. She it's an it. Olympic She's team. She saw what was happening. Not an Olympic yeah, person. She saw it's Olympic was happening. team. She, she, yeah. And she backed away gracefully because she needed time and she knew that there was people better suited to do it this year. Damn straight. And That's we that. support her. She's still a legend no matter what. And the people who are upset about it, well, get a life. Simple as that. So, yeah. another thing. Now, whether we see we have seen these epic matches live, that's one thing. Or that's a whole other thing. But bottom line, Ryan, 
my next story that I'm bringing here is the Olympics and their viewers. And long story short, no one's watching them live. They'll get their updates on Twitter, you know, social media, sports center, yada, yada, yada. But as a whole, no one's watching the Olympics. And these numbers are as accurate as yesterday, Ryan, straight from the Associated Press. Five years ago, we had the Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. 13 million people, 13 million people. Sorry, let me say this. Let me start with this. Yes. The United States, they are down from the opening ceremonies in Rio de Janeiro. 51% down, 13 million less than last year. Saturday nights, you know, big night is chill. Down 57%. Last Wednesday, down 53%. Tuesday, down 58%. All in all, the Wednesday number in particular is bad. Oh, yes. What are people doing on a Wednesday in the summer? Not watching the Olympics. Doubt, as you see, <laughs> all these things are above 50%. Half of them, they're losing <laughs> half their audience. No one's watching this damn thing. And if, I mean, maybe, you know, there are people who are that, you know, loyal, but mostly not. People aren't watching these Olympics. Now, there's many factors you could say. First, they're doing it on prime time and they're actually you can find the now these most of these games happen like five, six in the morning, um, Tokyo time. Mm -hmm. And they're putting all prime time so people can find the results on Twitter in the morning. If they really want to watch the replay, they can. But mostly they're already checking it out Two. There's hundreds of channels they of uh, the NBC, whether your USA networks, your sci-fi, um, obviously NBC. So this is spread out amongst different channels. Then you have Peacock exclusive games you want to see. Like some of the um, basketball games you can only watch if you are a Peacock subscriber. When you're not watching WWE Network, you're you could go watch the men's basketball, which are improving. I know think they realize they want to be started horribly though. Yeah. Start pretty low. But bottom line, Ryan, no one's watching these games. We're talking about it, but no one's really watching them. Do you think there's anything to it? Does it matter? Do you think as the years go by, less and less people are going to watch these things, these games, especially if you're going to throw them in uh, Peacock and stuff like that? Do you think the Olympics are going to be a thing of the past to enjoy? They're going to be just there. Talk to me. What are you thinking about, Ryan, when it comes to the Olympics ratings? So I have watched some of them on Peacock. I watched Canada win their little rowing thing. That was kind of cool. Yay. I really wanted Romania to win. Canada. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so I am watching a little bit. but So you're one, part think, of the, uh, you know, 48%, 42%. I'm watching on Peacock. <laughs> I'm not watching on uh, primetime. But I will say, I think Peacock's a big reason for this. It sucks. I've said it over this podcast maybe 10 dozen <laughs> times. <laughs> 10 to a dozen, not 10 dozen. That's not a real number. Um, but it sucks. It's a bad app that needs to go away. They need to give WWE Network the refund, uh, <laughs> but that's for a different day. It's a bad app. Does not intuitive. It doesn't look good. It doesn't have, it's not functioning properly ever. So that's part of it. NBC owns it exclusively and they're putting half of it on Peacock and Peacock sucks. So there's that. Um, there's also the fact that like 
these games, and I just went through defending Simone Biles for this, by the way, and I stand by everything I just said, but these games haven't been as good. Yeah. And it's not a surprise. Everything we all went through the past year, of course it's not as good. You know, of course that there's there's going to be like just residual like anxieties, like people were preparing for four years. They had a regimented life that had to go four years, four years to become the best in the world at what you do. And now it's like actually five. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd think, you know, again, someone who didn't do athletics, you'd be like, oh, great. That's another year. Everyone should be even better. But that's not really how it works. You know what I mean? Right. It's not just a matter of more time. It's when you do things, how you do things. Like, so it's not a surprise, but these just aren't as good as ga- of games. The games are not as good. There's no fans. That's probably a huge part of this. Yes. With the exception of like Michael Phelps, for some reason, uh, mm-hmm. he was there, but there's like no really, there's really no fans there. Um, and there's also just a lot going on for people. You know, Delta yeah. variant, like it's that you couldn't, this, this was, this game is a year late. So it was doomed from the start because in order for an Olympics to be a year late, that means you've probably had a pretty busy year. Yeah. So people just don't care right now. Like you do, you want to care. I think everyone wants to care and there's going to be the bad faith arguments that the wokeness of athletics or the changing of America is reducing people's patriotism. And anyone who has that thought, fine, but you're wrong and you're doing it in bad faith. We see. Yeah. But, and that's what people are going to say about this, but the fact of the matter is there's just so much going on that I don't, I don't care if our beach volleyball team wins a gold medal. My life will not change based on that. Their life will and good on them, but I don't care. Um, like there's just so much going on, you know, with the COVID and with uh, everything that we just went through last year in terms of like a pretty tumultuous year, uh, civil strife, Mm -hmm. uh, we'll put it that way. Like elections that just, we just got done with that. And we're still kind of even dealing with some of the fallout from that. Uh, everything has become a political like discussion, everything how we teach people, what we teach people, how people congregate, where people congregate, like everything has become politicized to a point that there's just so much to care about that whether or not two people you'll never meet win a gold medal or not. Like the only shared attribute I have with the men's row, the U S men's rowing team is that we're both from the United States (laughs) And I don't know where everyone's from. I'm going to assume that no one, none of them are from Alaska or Hawaii. So I'll go even further. We're both from the continental United States. <laughs> There's absolutely no other shared attribute. There might be someone from New Jersey. So I guess that would be a shared attribute. But like, I just, their lives and my lives are not intertwined. And they never were, by the way. I'm not saying that suddenly we've become disconnected with the Olympics, but I was saying that I think for a while people didn't care. Like, yeah, nothing about this changes my life, but it's nice to see an Olympic gold medalist win. And I think life has just gotten so messy that people are like, listen, I'm sure it's fine. They'll do good. I don't care. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And I I don't believe, again, I just don't think people are in the mood to be entertained right now. Yeah, well, what what are you going to do? It is a weird year. We're still in the pandemic. Well, um... You know, we still support our American athletes. 
We hope they do well. And, you know, we'll see them all again in a few years. And then don't forget, 2028 Summer Olympics are in the United States at Los yep. Angeles. So um, hopefully there'll be more ratings how then. Pull that off. <laughs> well, Seriously, they, always like no to surpri- they always like to surprise us and uh, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. And see who's at the opening ceremonies then. If Logan Paul is a uh, president or boxing. Something. He'll be the and he'll be the boxer. Yeah, he'll be professional. <laughs> at that point. Logan Paul getting the uh, Olympic gold medal, or Jake Paul and hitting KSI. That that's gonna be the boxing team they sent. Well, uh, you, we know how, we know how we all feel about that. But on other things, Ryan, yeah, talk to us about what's going on with AEW that was trending this week. Any chance we could talk wrestling and incorporate it? We always can, but uh, you know, wrestling yeah. is starting to. Uh, is there is there something to uh, this trending stories? Is wrestling uh, getting edgy again? Well, wrestling trends every week, actually, just only when the show is on and people are talking about it. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, no, like I said, I've come to become the de facto wrestling correspondent, which is fine. Um, <laughs> Um, Bless you. But um, yeah, like AEW, for those of you who don't know, because we don't talk about it a lot, you and I, because we don't really watch it all that much, you and I. Um, How much AEW watching? I, uh, I catch up with the clips. I watch it every once in a while, but I don't watch it. I wanted to watch it because my favorite wrestler of all time is there, although I don't like, I don't like him as much on AEW, actually. Oh, I don't know what it was. Man. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Dean Ambrose in his final years was horrific too. So WWE did poorly. So I get why he left, but uh, like I hated, I hated the the last after he, he returned, it was great. And then the character that did after it with the weird shot and the, the, all that, no, not a fan, mm-hmm. but um, so I get why he left, but I, I don't know. And actually I, I do know, and we're going to talk about it just right, right in about a second, but um, they had not one, but two trending, uh, Topics that were not associated with just, you know, the show being on TV that day. Um, So the first one, they had a highly, that's not the right word, highly anticipated, it's not the right word. Most people didn't care, but they had a (laughs) big match um, featuring a death match specialist. For those of you who don't know, don't worry about it. Um, But it's, they're very violent and I know it's fake. It's still very. These are still very violent interactions. They're very hard to watch. Not for me. Some people really love it. Most of those people live in a field in Delaware. But <laughs> I'll. I digress. Um, his name is Nick Gage. He was just on Dark Side of the Ring. He just had a documentary done about him, which I think is probably a big part of why this happened. Emotion. Yeah. Well, Jericho is the executive producer of that now. Chris Jericho. For those of you who don't know, um, and so he. Chris Jericho and Nick Gage had this death match on TV. Um, Nick Gage is very famous for his pizza cutter. He uses a pizza cutter to cut open his opponents. Um, he's done it to well, Chris Jericho now, but he's, he did it famously to David Arquette, the actor, um, in a match <laughs> that was not supposed to feature a pizza cutter. Uh, he did it to Dean Ambrose and CZW back when, or John Moxley, I should say. I got to make sure I say his name right. Um, so pizza cutter is a big thing for him. He likes the pizza cutter. And now on TNT for the first time ever. Again, he's never been on like primetime TV, not primetime, you know, I guess primetime TV. Yeah. 
He's never been on, you know, prime time like that, but he was this time when he used his pizza cutter and it was a picture in picture ad and the ad playing was for Domino's pizza. <laughs> clearly, five, somebody five, five, in the pro- <laughs> uh, clearly someone in the back, like in the production truck saw that they had an ad coming up for Domino's and said, wouldn't this be perfect? Clearly <laughs> so. I know they say that was an accident. Tony Khan has said it was an accident and that's fine. <laughs> but, you know, I was born at night, but not last night. So to say. <laughs> clearly it was on purpose, you know, and about Domino's, product placement. Well, Domino's was not happy with that product. placement. <laughs> uh, did not want to be associated with that. Uh, product placement or with AEW anymore. And they pulled out? I don't know if they've officially pulled out, but they were v- v- very mad. They don't want a Walls of Jericho pizza? I guess not. Uh, so, off the heels of AEW trying to make nice with corporate partners for, again, what they're calling a random happenstance, but what <laughs> everybody knows is completely not random. Um, they had one of their YouTube shows. So again, this one not on TV, which makes it only marginally better. Um, <laughs> but one of their performers comes out and does a quick freestyle rap. Uh, he's always, in my opinion, been a jerk in these raps. Granted, mm-hmm. he's a bad guy, so it makes sense. He's always been, in my opinion, a little conservative in these raps. We'll get into that in a second. But again. A, he's being a bad guy, so that could be that. And more importantly, he could very well just be conservative, and that's fine too. Um, but this time it wasn't fine. Uh, in his rap, he uh, the, the worst line by like a lot was he uh, said he was going to uh, – I don't know if I should swear or not. but uh, You can swear on this, yeah. Uh, he said he was, like, he was, he was going to like treat these bitches like the Duke lacrosse team. Mm. Uh, and for those oh, of you who boy. don't know what that is reference to, obviously look it up, but it's uh, about allegations of sexual assault by the Duke lacrosse team. Um, he also calls the COVID-19 testing fake. Um, and he made fun of uh, female performers uh, genitals. This was all Sounds like a dick. Yeah. This was all on YouTube. This was all on the episode. That means uncensored too. Uncensored. They edited the show, put it together, put it out there with all of this in there. Everybody watched it last night and said, what the heck is going on? Are you insane? Tony Khan again said that he doesn't edit this show, but going forward, he will. And they did take it down and upload it without the entrance. Well, but, Tony Khan has played uh, knows how to play uh, peacekeeper, or maybe he doesn't. I don't know. <laughs> he, well, Tony Khan, yeah, it's interesting. Tony Khan, I think, is the executive we wish ran WWE. Really, I think so. And here's why: Tony Khan has a lot of money, which is great, but he's working with a bunch of. And I don't mean this with disrespect. I'm a massive wrestling fan. Everyone who's listened to your podcast knows this. <laughs> He's working with a bunch of carnival barkers. <laughs> These are wrestlers. Cody's a wrestler. 
Kenny Omega is a wrestler. The Young Bucks are a wrestler. All of his EVPs are wrestlers. That's how this started, was a wrestler's company by wrestlers. He's just the other guy. He's, he's the money guy they hired because none of them had enough money to do this on their own. And he's really young. He's very young. But, I mean, he's still – he's been in this world for a long time. Uh, so he knows how to, to run a business. I'm not at all saying that. I'm saying he is the progressive, modern voice of wrestling that we wish a polished, modern company like WWE had. AEW is not that company. It was never meant to be that company. The minute they hired every single retired professional wrestler from WWE, they or made fired. it clear. <laughs> well, the, the fired is different. I'm not talking about that, actually. Mm. That, you know, hiring Alistair Black, Andrade, sorry, Malachi Black, Andrade, <laughs> uh, Miro slash Rusev, hiring those people was an absolute no-brainer. There's a couple more people they should probably be hiring. But especially if Adam Cole ends up leaving WWE. But that's not the point. The point is that that's not what I'm talking about. Those people are young. They're new. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about JR, Jim Ross. I'm talking about the big show. Mm -hmm. Talking a little bit about Christian, although he's worked out fine. I'm talking about Mark Henry. I'm talking about Taz. I'm talking about Tully Blanchard. I'm talking about Jake the Snake Roberts. I'm talking about and I Sting. Sting. Uh, Sting's actually kind of worked out too. And if it was just Sting, I wouldn't be saying any of this, by the way. Mm -hmm. Sting and Darby Allen have worked out fairly well. But again, also Sting and Darby Allen, Darby Allen is the star of that pairing. He does everything. Sting is kind of just there to make it feel more important. And he's pushing Sting is almost 60, dressed. so what could else be? Yeah, Sting is almost just dressing at that point. You know what <laughs> I mean? And I get that they were all meant to be that, but when you do it 180 times, and then again, you've got Dustin Rhodes, who's still active. He's been wrestling for forever. Yeah, this is an old company. It's a new company in terms of its existence, <laughs> but all the people who wrestle there are old or very young. And when I say very young, that's that's important because in wrestling, well, most of that means not WWE experience, probably not even like Impact experience. I'm talking like off the indie scene, maybe Ring of Honor experience. Mm -hmm. They don't. So they're doing, so, you know, you can say that rap in a gym. You know what I mean? At a, you can say that rap at an American Legion Hall in Buffalo, New York. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are still going to boo you, and it's still not good to say, right. by the way. I'm not saying it's okay to say it there, but I'm saying that no one would know about it. Your career is not going to take a hit. You're going to get the boos you're looking for because you're the bad guy, and you're such a good bad guy. <laughs> but you can't say it on TNT. You can't say it on USA Network. You can't say it on Sci-Fi or Fox. You can't say it there. And that's something that these people, like these young people don't know. And that's something that the older folks don't believe. Max Caster's young. He's the, he's the rapper slash wrestler who did this. I believe, honestly, that he didn't know that this was really good. I mean, he knew it was wrong, I'm sure, because that's why he said it. But I really didn't think, he, I think he thought that as a bad guy, there is no line. You could cross whatever line he needed to cross. He's the bad guy. You know what I mean? I mean, Sammy Guevara, who I like a lot on that same show, he had some comments about women that were not good. And he got in a lot of trouble. A while, this is a while back. It's unrelated to the current stories that are trending, but still. 
and he's apologized because again, I think he's someone who actually has a bright future. And he, I think realized that and is trying to correct it, but like, they just didn't realize that people cared what they said because people didn't care what they said for a very long time. And then the people, again, who are the older folks that are involved in this, they're like the old school wrestlers. So they're the ones who are like, okay. And now all the good guys hold the bad, you know, the, the heel girl down and give her a kiss. That's something that did happen. Uh, Luchasaurus and Marco stunt They're Uh, you know who they are. You've seen, mm-hmm. you know who they are. Um, again, for like the, that generation that's totally cool it was never cool by the way but that's totally what wrestling was like right. how are you gonna get how are you gonna get back at the evil uh the evil team you're gonna kiss his girlfriend Ugh. that'll show him and of course she doesn't want it but she's the bad guy so you can force her to do it because she's the bad guy that's not real life it's certainly not acceptable in 2021 and for all of its faults, it, WWE has had some horrific segments. No, in 2021, WWE knows this. I don't know if they always knew this. <laughs> I should let me rephrase that. They certainly didn't always know this. <laughs> there is <laughs> evidence of the contrary. But in 2021, WWE knows this. So yeah. Tony Khan, if he had WWE's like production team and he had WWE's infrastructure, I feel like that would be the best wrestling show on television. That's my hot take. But I do think AEW is going to have to find a balance because they're trying to be a company by wrestlers for wrestlers and for the fans. They want to be the anti WWE, the corporate side of WWE, as much as it bothers some people, it bothers people the wrong way. Cause you, these, these don't, this issue doesn't happen in WWE anymore, anymore. That's very important to say. Yeah. AEW is only four years old. <laughs> are three years old they have matured much older and they have matured over a very long period of time but that doesn't happen with them anymore and the reason it doesn't happen with them anymore is because of the corporate side because there's 180 people who tell you all the ways this is going to really be a problem (laughs) for networks for advertisers for viewers you know and i don't think AEW has that and if they do have that they've they haven't hired the right people they've hired people who are from a previous era who don't recognize what changes are happening in the landscape. Yes. Corporate oversight is no reason for like bad writing. All this, you know, Drew McIntyre's giant sword, whatever, <laughs> like that's all silly, stupid. It's for kids. Raw is hey, for man. children. Raw is for children, like young children. Yeah. Smackdown's better. I, I, I don't watch Raw, really. I catch the recaps at this point because it's not for me. I'm way too old right. for Monday Night Raw. <laughs> um, which is fine. You can make a children's show. Uh, I wouldn't make it your flagship show, but that's just me. Um, and a lot of people, I think, are equating that with the corporate like oversight. The show is bad because there's corporate... No. The show is bad because they hired... I don't know if they hired bad writers or if they, the writers aren't being allowed to do certain things. I don't know why the show's bad. It's not corporate. Because when you don't have the writers do it, when you don't have when you don't have that oversight, and you let the wrestlers do it, which is what everyone says they want, mm-hmm. this is what they come up with. <laughs> this is what they come well, up with. Yeah, huh? Again, and it's the like, more they stay the same, the more they yeah, change, the more it, they stay the same. Exactly, and like I said, I don't like Moxley as much. Why? Because he doesn't have a writer anymore. Mm. He was really good at his character. He didn't like it. His new character, I don't like it. 
now his new character is not offensive, but <laughs> um, you know, Womp. but his his new character is like supposed to be like this old school bruiser, and I don't care. I don't. I didn't watch wrestling in 1981. <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't born yet. I wasn't even old enough to riot at Woodstock. Okay. Like, <laughs> full circle. Uh, I just don't care about those characters, those throwback characters. And that's what it is. The wrestlers are creative in a lot of ways, but some more than others. And I think this is an example of sometimes they need a team to say, Hey, I get it. You're supposed to be a tool on TV. That was a little far. Mm. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got. Well, I guess we uh, will have to, uh, you know, again, just have to see where things lie. But, you know, it would be also, it be ah. it should be interesting to see with AEW's sake how the whole event regard in, um, at Arthur Ashe Stadium in Queens, see what happens. Is the rumors true about... Daniel Bryan sent sorry Brian Brian Danielson, aka Daniel Bryan or CM Punk coming to the big show there. Those are both true. Those are both uh, CM Punk will be in Chicago at some point. Oh, is that going to make a change in influence and to see where AEW goes? Are you going to have all these fans who scream at the WWE shows? CM Punk, CM Punk. Will that be the focus now, making him the big star? I think that's going to be. Have to assume so. It'd be silly not to. I think that's where we're going to see things go with AEW, and it'll be an interesting story for wrestling fans, and they won't need to have pizza cutters and rappers who are trying to be offensive, and they can, you know, focus on a major comeback in the whole industry. Uh, but one, uh, one, one person does not a show make. <laughs> true, true. Say. Exactly. You Great can't point, just, but You can't we'll bury the pizza cutters. Yeah, you can't bury the pizza cutter. Just because CM Punk showed up, Man. it's there, and it's a problem that they'll have to eventually. You know, their mid card is going to eventually have to, not just the mid card, their whole show is going to eventually have to have some more oversight if they want to be real. They don't have to be real either, but if they right. want Domino's to be sponsors, <laughs> as an example, that pizza cutter gag. When again, it was clearly a gag. I refuse to believe the story they're telling us. That can't happen. <laughs> it won't. I mean, they'll pull out. They don't need it. They don't need AEW. There's no need. They're doing it for fun or they're doing it for money, but like there's other shows they could advertise on like WWE. Exactly. They they do advertise on WWE, but uh, like there's just other stuff. They don't need this. So they're not going to put up with BS that they don't need. It's going to be an interesting month for wrestling. Indeed. Now, other interesting things too, speaking of comebacks, instead of a wrestling comeback, a possible Hollywood comeback that people love. We haven't had a real great Hollywood comeback in a while, but once a staple of the early 2000s and late 90s, there was an actor named Brendan Frazier, who, like I said, for a solid five, six year period was pretty popular. The Mummy franchise was huge. Looney Tunes back in action. Into the uh, center of the earth. He, he got replaced yeah. on that one. Oh fuck! I forgot about that. You also <laughs> have um, Georgia the Jungle. You have uh, who else? You what else? You got you got you know Crash, School Ties. I mean, this guy Encino Man. Big, he Isn't had a big, Encino Man. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, and he was uh, that's the Paulie Shore one, right? Exactly. Okay. 
and um, the guy who played um, Rudy. But yeah, he was in that. But yeah, Bridget Frazier, pretty popular person. And he disappeared in the spotlight. I genuinely don't know where he went. I'm sure if I went on a deep dive, I could figure it out. But very quiet for someone at a big name. There was that famous meme that came out of him signing um, signing a picture at a steak restaurant saying, I love the steak. It was really good. I was in the mummy, just in case you forgot. <laughs> and um, but hey, maybe he doesn't have to be a parody of himself because he was just cast in Martin Scorsese's recent film. I have a right here. It is called an Apple exclusive film, by the way, Killers of the Flower Moon that stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro, two of the biggest names in Hollywood history. And now and with Jesse Plemons there as well. And Brendan Fraser has been cast in a role um, in the film. And many people think it's a real role, too. Right. Like, yeah, sorry, bro. exactly. Just He's in the cast. Not a uh, not a cameo or anything. He is a significant role. He's not dead body number one. No, no. So, well, first things first, Ryan, how excited are you for this? Are you happy for this? Do you want to see Brendan Fraser make a big comeback, especially in this streaming digital Hollywood era? What do you think of this possible comeback on the horizon? Yeah, I'm Brendan Fraser. I'm lukewarm at best. Um, Only because I forgot all about Brendan Fraser. Uh, I mean, listen, as all of us did, as all exactly, it's not just me. Uh, but I mean, I'm happy for him, I guess, because I just <laughs> like it when people have a good time as opposed I was to a bad the, time. The mummy, right? <laughs> um, so I'd be good on him, obviously. No, don't begrudge somebody making a living, but in terms of like, do I think this is going to shake up Hollywood? No, I mean, he went away for a reason, right. I, I don't. I, I assume so. I, I I really don't know. I, I'm I, I sure if I took to the time. I'm, I find it hard to believe that he uh, left, like, on his own. You know what I mean? I don't right. think this was a. I'm taking a break from Hollywood. I think this was more of a Hollywood didn't really need Brendan Fraser anymore. Exactly. <laughs> and so like, they stopped casting him. I'm looking at the uh, filmography, and you have some breaks. So here I see some a lot of directed video films, a lot of voice roles. See, that's how you know that it wasn't uh wasn't his idea to leave. Exactly. <laughs> when you so, have the, the video game like voice roles and the directed video films, that's mm-hmm. how you're pretty pretty sure that it was somebody else's decision to end your movie career, not your own. Right. But, some movies here are in other countries being made and stuff. Right, a lot of indies. But Not yeah, again. I think what it comes down to is, uh, you said this was Scorsese, right? Yeah, Mars Scorsese. Yeah, Scorsese. He uh, he's just cashing in now. Um, so I don't know how much I'm gonna put like stock into this movie, especially because it's Apple exclusive. I'm sure old Scorsese would have hated that, but <laughs> Scorsese is not gonna put Leo and. De Niro in a movie he doesn't think will do well. He's expecting this movie to be watched by a lot of people. Otherwise, yeah. he wouldn't have cast them. Yeah, as uh, I see right here, a budget two hundred million dollars. Yeah. So clearly, this is a big movie. Again, just by the two stars of the movie, you can tell that. So, 
good on him. I mean, he'll probably make a decent amount. And if he does well, I mean, it'd be interesting if he plays a bad guy because he was always the action hero. That was his character, right? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Action hero. He was leading man. You liked yeah. him and stuff like that. So I'm just by the name, I'm assuming he was there's a some sort of killer or serial killer or something in this movie. Yeah, I have the premise right here. It says members of the Osage tribe in the United States are murdered under mysterious circumstances in the 1920s, sparking a major FBI investigation involving J. Edgar Hoover. And it was based off a nonfiction book. And I have to assume that uh, he's not playing Hoover. So (laughs) No, it says the role here specifically, it is... He plays somebody named W.S. Hamilton. All right. Who who are Leo? Actually, who are Leo and DiCaprio? Uh, Leo DiCaprio. Who are Leo and De Niro playing? It says here Leonardo plays a guy named Ernest Burkhart, who was a real person. And it says here, um, Ernest Burkhart, it says... Uh, Well, I guess this kind of gives it well. <laughs> um, um, he's either he's either the FBI or he's the serial killer. Yeah, I think um, he's one of. The, <clears throat> I'm trying to you know sum this up on this page. Let me, but, all right, let me uh, say this. Let me say but, this. But uh, the De Niro is one is Fraser play, Is Brendan Fraser playing the serial killer? Uh, it doesn't seem like it. No, no. I, I have right, no so idea. So this it won't just, be nearly just, as cool. The him. only ones have the actual names just on this, this Wikipedia page. They, The Robert De Niro character has his old page. He plays this guy named William Hale. He was an American cattleman and convicted murderer. So okay. De Niro plays a murderer. Yeah, for sure. And, and I guess I'm just assuming that DiCaprio's playing the cop on the run with Jesse Plemons. Okay. Well then maybe Frazier is the other murderer. How many murderers are there? We don't know. Yeah. According to here, he's the fifth lead. He's the fifth lead up according to this. Yeah. So So it goes to Nero, two people and then Brendan Frazier. Yeah. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, Obviously I'm not, we're not trying to give the whole movie away, but if he's playing a serial killer, long story short, I think that would be good for his career. If he does well, Mm -hmm. if he's playing, you know, like De Niro's henchman, or something, right? If, or, or if he's like a love interest of some kind, like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I'm not saying it can't be good, but if he's just playing, you know, what he always played, but in a Scorsese movie, then he'll make a lot of money, and that's good for him. But it's probably not going to change the number of phone calls he gets. Right. Exactly. So, I it's just really, you know, I like the idea of the Hollywood comeback. Um, you know, we really haven't had one in a while. Not that I can think of, at least. Uh, I'm just wondering, why do you think Brendan Fraser fell off the spotlight? You think it was as simple as a bad agent? Were people tired of the mummy? Uh, uh, yeah, I think. I mean, Looney Tunes back in action. Not it was not that it was exactly a masterpiece, but I don't know. Maybe people got annoyed from that. <laughs> I wonder if movies just kind of changed on him a little bit too. Yeah, you know, you could really do a case study on actors who were big at one point that fell, then, you know, disappeared. But I don't know. Family action movie kind of went away. Like, name a recent family action movie that wasn't a full on comedy. Because, I mean, Looney Tunes is comedy, obviously, but I think of like The Mummy. 
I guess the only thing is that Jungle Cruise coming out with The Rock. Well, that's different. Totally uh, different. Because The Rock can make whatever. The Rock could just sit in front of the camera for an hour and release that <laughs> in every theater in America. The Rock made a the TV Rock show says, to run for president. <laughs> Check well, out my old Tweet Cap episode on it for more information. Well, either way, we'll see what happens. We'll see if the world falls in love with Brendan Fraser again. And, um, you know, that uh, joke is getting paid in the past. So that's what's good. Where he was in The Mummy. And um, now he's in the now he's in the Scorsese. (laughs) Exactly. So let's just see what happens. And I hope it works out for him. And our final story for today, Ryan. Very interested to see what you got to say about this. Another story that technically happened last week, but, you know, they're not full fledged. But it was recently announced last week, or I should say two weeks ago, that Call Her Daddy, the popular podcast from Barstool, was bought by Spotify for $60 million, bringing out. Bring in the host, Alexandra Cooper, and all of the Call Her Daddy IP and merchandise to make it exclusively owned by Spotify with merchandise being handled by Barstool. And that's it. So Call Her Daddy is an official Spotify exclusive podcast. Join in other huge podcasting groups like the Ring, Bill Simmons, The Ringer, Joe Rogan. Now you have Alex Cooper. Spotify is clearly making a big move in the audio sphere. LPN. Yeah. LPN. Another one. Spotify wants to take, wants to be, I mean, obviously major in providing music to the world, but they want the big names in podcasting. So with this story, there's two ways to go. We could always talk about caller daddy going there and then Spotify. So uh, Spotify being a major game in the podcasting sphere with this move. So we'll focus on the caller daddy first. Yeah, yo, this is really cool. I think, um, you know, I do pay attention to Caller Daddy. You can see the back of my head in the studio. There's a mm-hmm. wall of the two original hosts. I think it's just really cool. People our age making a name for the podcasting world. And um, it's really interesting what they did with that. And I think it's an awesome move for Alex Cooper. And it's uh, good for her. Now she's no longer associated with Barstool. I think this is to shows that I think even David Port, Dave Portnoy mentioned. Yeah, we are at a place now where we can launch these people to greener pastures. And this is a great example of that. Having um, literally the most popular podcast on Spotify. I looked at it. Portnoy's been supportive. Yeah, he was very happy to move. And he said that, you know, we want to launch people now. And this is, you know, this could be the minor leagues to the major leagues somewhere else. I think this is a good example of that. And for a legitimate good podcast, I think that's awesome. What do you think of the whole caller daddy going to Spotify and the move out? I was going to say, I don't know many people who have a problem with Spotify exclusives, except for, and I talked to you and another group of Joe Rogan fans who (laughs) kind of confirmed this. Joe Rogan fans don't like, Spotify exclusive Joe Rogan experience. Yes. For whatever reason. And I could see because it was a bar, I could, I, in my brain, and I know this is my lizard brain because I don't really like either of them, Portnoy <laughs> or Rogan. I don't hate them. I don't like dislike them, but I'm just not a fan of either group. And I, right. I, the same feeling about both of those guys in particular, very successful, 
obviously very good at what they do. Not for me. And in my brain, I see their fans as very similar. Barstool and Joe Rogan experience. I see a lot of overlap there. I could be wrong. I don't have any audience information in front of me. But if I'm not wrong, and there are a lot of overlap between the two, I could see the Barstool contingent not liking this. Now, I don't, but again, if this is like almost, if they've almost grown their own, obviously they must have done a little bit to grow their own fan base that doesn't really give a crap about Barstool overall, just cares about, you know, their show, then it'll be fine. But for whatever reason, I feel like the people who like Joe Rogan are also people who listen to Barstool's content. And I know that a lot of people who like Joe Rogan don't like that he's Spotify exclusive and they feel like Spotify is ruining his show. Mm-hmm. So I would worry about that. I mean, obviously, money-wise, there's it's a no-brainer. This is awesome, you know. And they get out from underneath, uh, you know, they get out from underneath a different company. They're their own. They're now they're their own IP. Before they were a brand under the barstool umbrella. Now they're not. I mean, yes, they're under Spotify's umbrella, but they're their own brand. You know what I mean? So that's huge. And I would never, I wouldn't discredit that, but it just be interesting to see if people like the show still not to be blunt about it, but to see if there's any backlash. Cause again, I know shows that didn't get backlash. I don't think anyone is upset with, you know, Bill Simmons. (laughs) I think I, I, I doubt any of that changed. I know last podcast, again, and I have no numbers for any of this, by the way, the last podcast network, I haven't heard a lot of negative things about their exclusive contract. Um, they, in fairness, because I listened to them specifically, they very much centered it around. It's still free. <laughs> you still don't have to pay. You just have to download one more app. And that, that was a big just part of their, more. that was a big part of their, like what they were, t- what they were selling was like, yes, it's not on Apple music anymore, but you just download Spotify. It's still totally free. Um, you just get ads with your music. So I would say that it can be done. And I don't know what, you know, caller daddy did in terms of like prepping people or when this officially starts and all that stuff. But, um, it'll be interesting. Cause I've, I know that again, the ringer did really well. I feel like, I feel like they've only grown since they went Spotify exclusive. Yep. Um, but I know that Joe Rogan has had the opposite experience and, I just, I worry that their show has a lot of people who are, you know, on the Joe Rogan side of the equation, not the Bill Simmons side of the equation. I don't know that though. I don't know if I I could totally be wrong. I could have all that backwards. Maybe there's more overlap between ringer fans and Rogan fans. Um, But I just feel like Barstool and Rogan are very similar and their fans are very similar. And I would worry that since we know that the Rogan fans turned on the Spotify contract, well, the Barstool fans do, but right. David, Dave Portnoy is supporting them, which is yeah. awesome because that's basically, you know, that's, that's El Presidente. They're saying, no, keep, keep listening. It's good. You know what I mean? Exactly. And so it, that's going to help. I think 
And it'll allow him to say, okay, so we can now with this move, we can start, we can be known as a podcast network that will launch people to. I mean, places. he was going to do that. He was going to do that anyway. True. Uh, oh, this shows that yeah. this will work and get legitimacy and more reasons to go to those yeah. shows. But the fact that he's promoting it openly and not just like internally, like, well, we did a good job with that one. Like the fact that right. he's openly telling people that means that he does genuinely believe that this is a good move for them. For and sure. For- yeah, so, so that's gonna that's probably gonna help a little bit. This is about two weeks old, you know. This story now, the car died, and Alex Cooper specifically, her fans are very loyal to her. I mean, they love her. I mean, I've seen mm-hmm. people comment like "you're a god to us" and stuff, and you know, hashtag Daddy Gang is big. So I do feel in due time, if it really is a problem, people will let their opinions be known. Yeah. But for now, I think it's just uh, awesome stuff. I'm just I'm always supportive of podcasters now, especially because both of us are doing this, seeing Mm -hmm. where they keep growing and stuff and getting uh, content for a relatively new industry. You know, I just support the movement. I think it's awesome. I think it's hilarious. Her partner, what was her name? Sophia wanted to had it, you know, had that big breakup because they Mm -hmm. wanted more money, suit man and all of that. And if she only hung on for what a year later, yeah. she would have got the money she wanted and leaving Barstool. But, uh, you know, she kind of got greedy too soon, and well, it's gonna cost her. And she'll always be known as, you know, that yeah, girl. Yep. She's the uh, what's it, Brian Dunkelman of American Idol with Ryan Seacrest. Hey, you know the you know Ryan Seacrest had a second. I, yeah, I don't think first. it was Brian Dunkelman though. <laughs> I'm like confident. I'm pretty sure that was his first. Let me look it up really quick because that's just no offense. That's a funny name. Yeah, it's not a name. That's not a name that could host American Idol, probably. And I guess that's why he did. Yep, it says it right here. Hosted by Brian Seacrest and Brian Dunkelman, who quit Jeez. after the first season. And now he's just known as that guy. You ever been so wrong about something in your life? <laughs> sometimes i try to think about it but yeah i guess it's an example of that but um well oh oh well 60 million dollars ain't bad and uh if if only she that's just she just has to cringe at that they had a great thing going and i'm sure she could still use it to make her own show i'm sure it'll work out fine Maybe she'll go back to Barstool. Oh, no, she didn't like Barstool, though, so she won't do that. Yeah, (laughs) with the suit, man. Yeah, she didn't like Barstool, so she won't do that. But maybe she'll go to, I don't know. Who else is doing it? I feel like Spotify is the only person who's doing these exclusive contracts. The one I know uh, Stitcher does has some exclusive in Luminary. Luminary. Like the Trevor Trevor Noah's podcast is a Luminary exclusive one. Okay, so Um, there's also... Mark Maron's is is a... His archive is exclusive to Stitcher. Like the first three months, all podcasts and platforms have it, but like the then whole archive. All, yeah. yeah. Well, so, and that's what I'm going to say. There's also, even if they're not exclusive to a, whatever, there are podcasting networks that post everywhere. But exactly. Network, I mean, there right. are big networks too. I mean, she could end up doing something with another network. For right? sure. I mean, but she's got to have a following. Exactly. Following. And, you know, you hit on the nail a little bit in your first point before, but the fact that, yeah, Spotify really is trying to make a name for themselves. You know, when no Howard's doing it. 
Yeah, and Howard Stern, when he was available at the time negotiating contract with Sirius, Spotify reached out to him. They wanted him to go to podcasting. Mm-hmm. That would have been an interesting move. I doubt, you know, obviously he didn't do it for a reason. He but um, yeah, I mean, as long as he took his archive back with him. Yeah, I think he I think he missed the boat on that. Now, maybe he couldn't get the archive, in which case he's not worth that much. But yeah, if he could have got the archive to go with him. I mean, his show as a radio show is fine, but he Spotify is everyone. And I mean, yeah, I've had everyone has Spotify. I naturally had the Spotify exclusive just because I wanted my music without breaks. And it's yeah, easy same. for me to have, you know, the extra podcast in. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's just really interesting move. So you think that's the way we're going to go? Like we're going to just have spot different podcasts and networks have their own special talent with them. Like an Apple podcast or a Stitch, I don't know about as Apple. I mentioned. I don't think all of them are going to do it. I think I don't think all of them see the value in it yet because it is a small, small group of people. Yeah. So you think if Spotify, you think Spotify is on its way. I think it's pretty even that Spotify and Apple are the two main sources to go to. Oh, yeah. To go to get your podcast. But you think even in due time in a couple of years now, Spotify will be the one. Spotify will be Coke while... Apple I, is Pepsi or such. To see, like, I wonder if Spotify stops like hosting us eventually. <laughs> They'll kick it out. You don't have it enough. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, if they, I if, hope they not. Make, if they not only mid. put like, Spotify artists on Spotify, you know what I mean. So SiriusXM does podcasts as well. That's the one they that you have to be a special talent to get there. Like Kevin Hart's is right. So I'm saying stuff. Like, you think so, that's what Spotify will do? Yeah, soon? I wonder if they end up not soon, but I wonder if that's where this ultimately ends up. Well, we have to get big before them before they kick us out. <laughs> well, then what will happen is people will start going to the other ones and then mm. one of those companies will grow based off that. I mean, Spotify and all these companies are growing because these all these people were on Spotify already. Yeah. Now they're just exclusive to Spotify. So by canceling other people's ability to be on your platform, you're just giving your rival the next artist you're giving your rival the next artist so if everyone's on apple and not spotify because spotify only goes with their exclusive artists the next big thing is going to happen on apple yeah that's the whole point they could buy them from apple that's possible but uh all Mm. apple has to do is offer a bunch of money and they certainly have a bunch of money well (laughs) this is a good time to start that journey to get exclusive and um between that and podcast discovery so i was talking with someone about the big trends in the industry coming a professional mm-hmm. um i think it's just cool for podcasting in general i i find i meet more people who are into it more than ever oh, obviously yeah. so accessible now and it's free and we'll take advantage of it when it's free if they exactly. you know if subscription services are pushed and you have to pay a monthly fee for podcasts. Well, shit. That'll change a little bit. Yeah, but for now, we enjoy the free content that's easy and accessible to make as long as you put the time and effort and dash into it. But yeah, I think just this story just shows that podcasting is a legit uh, medium and platform to go to for people. And it's only going growing up from here, you know? Yeah. For so, sure. Rice win with that, and uh, it's been great with it. So, Ryan, it's been a blast as always. Is there anything else you want to say before we sign off for today? No, I don't think so. Oh, sick. Uh, I think we're good. I mean, so much going on. Next time we do one of these things, I feel like we'll still be going back three weeks to catch up, but that's okay. 
<laughs> exactly. So um, next time you'll be on, it will be. So we have our week off is the week of the 16th. And then that Saturday SummerSlam, which uh, we will hopefully. Uh Oh, are they saying some things? I saw a weird rumor. Nothing to nothing to report. Yeah. Okay, so we'll let that go, I guess. But assuming everything's on par, we'll have our SummerSlam show. Bring back our guys, Deron and AJ, the man. And then we'll have our tweet cap after that. So good times ahead. Don't forget to check out Ryan and the tweet cap, whether following um, whether you at check T out tweet cap. Yep. At T tweet cap. Go follow at T T at T T quet. At T tweet cap. At T tweet at three, two, one at tweet tweet cap. Go there. <laughs> Check out the exclusive contract regarding the tweet cap. And Ryan, thanks again for another epic story and an epic podcast, us reflecting on the news. And I'll see you very, very soon. Very productive. Such a good conversation. (laughs) It's synergy, Matt. It's synergy. (laughs) Appreciate you, Ryan. And I'll talk to you really soon. All right. See ya. What a time it was. What a time it will be. And it was such a great experience talking with you, Ryan. Great job doing the tweet cap once again. We got into some really intense stories. And we show there's never a dull moment in the world of social media. So... Just want to remind you to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and YouTube. And don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show on ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com. And don't forget to check us out in the world of social media. We're on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast. We're on Twitter at ProdcomoPod. We're on TikTok at Productive Conversations. So we have a great week of shows ahead next week. Ryan Suchlin is on the show on Monday, show 96. On Thursday, we're going to have the great Louie back, and we are going to start our trend of in-studio guests starting next week. Thursday, a week from today, is our first in-studio guest since the pandemic really, um, you know, revved up in December. So we are making the comeback from there, and it's our way to show that life as we know it will soon be back. And I know the Delta variant has been another obstacle, another speed bump, but we're riding slow and we are riding high right over it. As more people are continuing to get vaxxed, more people are following the new rules. And yeah, we will be in the clear before we know it. And uh, hopefully doing some in-studio guests We'll uh, start it at least one way or the other. So Louie will be back a week from today. Ryan Suchlin on Monday. And it's it's uh, it's it's been a just absolute pleasure on our road to 100 shows. Be, be on the lookout on our social media in the next couple of weeks as we celebrate the first 100 shows and recordings as we record and post some new shows. So we can reminisce in the first 10 months of this show as we get to our 100th show be out be on the lookout to see the exclusive content on our social media celebrating that and yeah just more great guests are coming more great shows are on the way and none of this is possible without you the greatest fans and listeners in the world words cannot describe how much i love and appreciate each and every one of you and thank you for making this show possible so with that 
My name is Matt Brown. I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Stay safe, do the right thing, and enjoy what we have in this beautiful season of summer. All right, everybody. I will see you on Monday with Ryan Sutchlin. Until then, peace.